favorite cartoon characters will help you understand how drugs and alcohol can ruin your life. So watch the program. Talk about it with your family. Welcome back to Special Presentation with Mike and Ethan, or... Elf will not be seen tonight. Well, we had to gather our strength to start anew, but now we are ready to finish the loafing and lounging we still have left to do. This is part two. This is part two of our look at the Phantom Tollbooth, which which we are supplementing with some uh, some hard looks at the way Chuck Jones's character designs differ from the original designs by Jules Pfeiffer. Yeah, and we are um, just about to meet uh, a pretty major character in this, um, the Watchdog. Yes, the Watchdog, who is literally half watch, half dog. Yeah, uh, so his full name is TikTok, but his friends call him Talk. And it's okay if you call him Talk. He's always happy to make new friends. So, yeah. Now, let's compare the Chuck Jones version of Talk with the with the, the novel... Novelization, I almost said. No, it's the other way around. This is the movieization of the novel. And yes, you may notice that they made a couple of big changes about him. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, first of all, uh, talk is much more Chuck Jones <laughs> in the Yes, in there's the no way around that. <laughs> uh, he's got the, uh, the kind of the lips with the weird, like, kind of like fringe on them. He's oh, got we have, the, yeah, the we have more people eyelashes. with mustache lips in this than anything, man. Yeah. Huh. So, like, a lot of that sort of thing. Um, and uh, so, because the, the, the way Jules Pfeiffer kind of draws Talk, he's kind of very big and blocky. Yes, he's a, you know? he's a large um, dog. Uh, Talk is not portrayed as, I don't know, in the movie, he's got a kind of Cocker Spaniel look to him. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, he looks more like, I don't know, a Mastiff yeah. here? Something that would, in fact, a... be a watchdog. Yeah. But I think the main difference <clears throat> is uh, that Jules Pfeiffer's version, he literally, he has a, he is like a clock. He's got like a, a watch on his side, so he appears to be a clock with a dog head and legs. Yes. Or where actually he's kind of scratching him. He's kind of twisted. So is it on his stomach or is it's it on, on his, his side? side? Well, in the picture that I've okay. shown, what he's doing is he's winding himself with his hind leg. Okay, gotcha. Um, so in the Chuck Jones version, he's a normal dog, but he's got a watch in in like in kind of like a yeah, pouch. it's like his primordial pouch. He can sort of pull up his stomach layers, and there's a and there's a clock in there, and it's he's mechanical, but it's a lot subtler. It's easy. It's yeah, because I mentioned. Yeah, it's uh, it's easy to forget that he's not that he's not just a regular dog. But once in a while, he'll say something like, "I was afraid I'd snap my mainspring there." Yeah, that's right. Because um, there, otherwise, yeah, he's almost um, because it's 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 kind of funny the way he does it, where he he pulls out his clock and whenever it goes off and, and, and hits it. it, it's very, it just reminds me of those Chuck Jones cartoons where, Appropriately enough. uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The one where Bugs Bunny goes like back in time to King Arthur and he and Merlin, like, you know, throw like magic powder at each other and turn into like pigs and horses. And they just start taking their skins off. You know I don't one? know this one. This is, <laughs> I haven't, I don't think I've seen this one. Oh, okay. It's just like, cause, because basically they they kind of like undress where like Bugs Bunny like Merlin turns Bugs Bunny to a pig and then Bugs Bunny just like kind of removes the pig skin like it's like an overcoat <laughs> and climbs out like you know a costume and then he throws a powder on Merlin who turns into a horse and Merlin does the same thing but there's another horse <laughs> under it and he just starts taking off multiple horse skins <laughs> um, 
Anyway, but like something about the way that that's done reminds me a lot of the uh, way that talk kind of like uh, goes into his pouch to uh, mess around with his clock. Um, I I think this is probably a a, a good idea because um, it's going to get hard to animate a clock on a dog all the time, yeah. and uh, just making him like a regular looking dog gives him a lot more. Um, you, you can a lot more uh, range of motion. Yeah, I, think. I was going to say that actually it's. Probably say, I was gonna say that you could just uh, be be tracing a clock, but at the same time, you have to be showing him from a lot of different angles. So yeah, this was probably this is probably something you couldn't you know make him look uh, identical to the uh, book un until the area of CGI. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, um, Norton Jester didn't like they uh, they stayed too close to the book here, but um, so far I feel like. The changes that they are making changes where it is um, where it would improve the book, uh, although staying very, very yes. close to it. Um, so, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot better than a lot of adaptations of things where they're just like they're either like, look, we're just going to slavishly just, you know, photocopy the original or we're just going to throw it all out and, and make. A complete whatever random thing we're just gonna be like yeah now now um uh Her hercules is like um he, he he's get made out of a cloud and uh toad has got like a friend who's a horse who like gets out of jail i don't know i'm just trying to think of like examples of just or like no you know now quasimodo he's got like three gargoyles who like talk yeah, to him they never really they never sing. explain whether the gargoyles are real or not how are they participating in the battle if he's down there and they're up there yeah that's a good point <laughs> uh the um that was that was that was an ex i always thought that was a very weird choice but like oh okay, we're gonna make a love a kids movie what are you making it hunchback and Notre Dame. are you really Hunchback of Notre Dame. Okay, really? I mean, well, I, the thing is, somebody already had the rights to Les Miserables. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna make a Victor uh, Hugo but... movie. Damn it! <laughs> yeah. So I want, but um, Phantom Tollbooth. I feel like this is this is an adaptation that, like, from what I know of the original, it really seems like they're trying to um, stay true to the book, but they're like, look, some of these things just aren't going to translate well to the screen. So we're going to, we're going to futz them around a little yes. bit. So it's interesting that Norton Jester is like, you didn't do that enough. <laughs> well, no, yeah, that's it's he, Yeah. He wasn't happy with it and he was, he pretty much disowned it. And, you know, this was kind of a trend for this whole, this whole decade, because you got the same thing with Roald Dahl and Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory, and you get the same thing with E.B. White and uh, and Charlotte's Web. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the seventies were a dark time for uh for uh, yeah. kids' fair. <laughs> so, um, and uh, luckily J.R. Tolkien died before he got to see Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. So I would have liked because <laughs> I bet that would have gone over. Well. I would have liked to have seen uh, how he uh, how he felt about the uh, animated The Hobbit. But yeah, he he was like, I really love this song about whips. <laughs> well, yeah, that was that was not in the book, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> they were like, yeah, maybe throw it and make it a musical. Kids love music. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine Tolkien being like, okay, so the orcs are marching along and they're singing this disco song. <laughs> it'd be funny if he was, it'd be great if he, he actually saw that and then we saw like, Roto of the Nine Fingers <laughs> and the Ring of Doom. And Tolkien's like, holy shit, this rules. I need to put this in. I'm going to revise the Lord of the Rings now that has all these songs in it. I love that guy who's singing the Frodo of the Nine Fingers song. He looks just like my friend Lloyd Alexander. <laughs> uh, um, actually, so is it, uh, is, should we wait off on, on this? Because I'm curious, like, did, did Norton Jester specifically say what it was about this uh, adaptation that he yeah I've got like a, did he have any specific I've critiques? got a couple of uh, interviews we can look at we can save that toward the end yeah okay sounds good let's do that something for the kids to look yeah. forward to so yeah so anyway talk shows up right in the middle of uh, of Milo being trapped in the doldrums 
and informs him that, you know, as a as a watchdog, his job is to prevent people from wasting time, which he when he points out that what the Lotharians want is uh, for him not to do anything, not even blinking or breathing. So <laughs> I like when Milo's like breathing. I've always breathed. <laughs> Can't stop that, now. That part was not in the book. That was a nice little uh, escalating of the stakes. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, okay, that's interesting. So I, again, I, I feel like they're doing a pretty good job of um, you know adding things where needed for this. Um, but yeah, so so talk is going to help him out because the way to get out of the doldrums is you got to think your way yeah, out. Yeah, this is this is kind of weird, but it is in the book where he just instructs him to think as much as think as hard as he can about a lot of things. He's like, okay, list all the birds that, f- that swim you can name. How about all the fish that can fly? How about words that begin with J? Yeah, um, it uh, so it, it's. I, it kind of fits, though. Yeah, it does. It you fits know, more I mean, than a part where we see this again later in the movie, though. Oh, that does kind of happen again, right? With the yeah, um, with the numbers mine. This that was something that was not in the book. So yeah, huh? Okay. Um, but uh, so the, he gets uh, so, but it works. They get just out, as the Lotharians have uh, merged into a giant wave to engulf them, which again, not in the book because they weren't slime creatures. <laughs> um, yeah, which is a major oversight <laughs> of the book. But they they, they get out, and um, I mean, yeah, they they add some. How do they get? So they they. How do the Lotharians try? Do they try to stop them, or do they just like do the thinking and they just get out the, in the book? Uh, and the yeah, the Lotharians don't try to stop them. He's just stuck, and uh, talk helps him to uh, helps helps him to get back on the road. Oh, that's interesting. So the Lotharians are a lot more sinister. In yeah, the movie. they weren't villains in the in uh, the book. They were just you know residents of this place where nobody does anything. Oh, okay, so that's interesting. So uh, was in in the book is is talk like harassing them like he does in yes the movie? he does go around uh yeah okay well let's look at the actual uh let's look at the actual text where they say uh they say milo says well you'd never get anything done we don't want to get anything done we want to get nothing done and we can do that without your help you see it's quite strenuous doing nothing all day so once a week we take a holiday and go nowhere which was just where we were going when you came along would you care to join us I might as well. That might that seems to be where I'm going going anyway. Tell me, does everyone here do nothing? Everyone but the terrible watchdog. He's always sniffing around to make see that no one wastes time. A most unpleasant character. The watchdog The watchdog shouted another, fainting from fright, for racing down the road, barking furiously and kicking up a great cloud of dust was the very dog of whom they had been speaking. So yeah, they, so yeah, he he oh. does harass them basically on principle as a watchdog, you know. The, chase he chases okay. them like cats basically. That's funny, considering in the in the movie that I guess they're like, look, we got to make it so he just doesn't seem like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, so they're they're much more of a, you know, they're the Lethargians are more of a threat, and he's more heroic in this. Yeah, uh, I guess again, you know, probably a good a good thing to do in a in a movie. I feel like. You know, hey, hey, um, you know, it's the reverse of save the cat. Get saved by the dog. Yeah, there you go. This is before they like wrote the yeah. book. So, you know, um, so they get out and I think they are uh, they're on their way to uh, on their way to diction. Well, they're on their way. Yeah. Of, there. Yeah. Um, but they actually before they get there, they they run into um, Doctor Discord, yes, don't Dr. they? Doctor Cacophonous A Discord, who if you if you've read the book, you know already, and well, I mean, you would know that on anyway if you were listening to this. Uh, yes, Doctor Cacophonous A Discord is a quack doctor who makes patent medicines out of noise. Hmm. Yeah, and he is. Um, well, let's see. Uh, what's he look like in the oh, book? Let's uh, here. I've got the picture right here. Uh, Doctor Doctor Cacophonous A Discord, who he's not too far off from what you were what you've seen before, but uh, there are some differences. Okay, so um, yeah, he's it's it's similar because um, he's a doctor, 
and uh, I'm, I'm, and so he looks like in both iterations how Doctor would you'd assume would look with the kind of the the lab coat and the the scrubs yes. kind of thing. He's got one of those um, those things that doctors wear yeah, on their the heads. Doctor's mirror. This is something that is just a symbol of being a doctor now to the point where nobody remembers what it was for. It's it's a mirror to reflect light onto whatever they're looking at. Oh, okay. So, um, so yeah. Uh, and he's also got like the, the stethoscope around yes. his neck. Um, now the, the main difference is that it looks like the, the version of the book has gigantic ears, which makes sense. Cause he's a doctor of noise. Um, he's also got like a kind of fussy little mustache. Yeah. He's got a kind and... not a Hitler mustache, a sort of, I don't, I don't know how you would describe it. A little pencil thin mustache. It's very British looking to me. Um, and he's got glasses that are a little different than the ones in the in the cartoon. Um, the um, uh, the one in the cartoon is is a little different. He's got normal sized ears. Um, he kind of looks like I mean, I guess he to me, I was like, oh, he just looks like that, like evil scientist that force feeds Porky Pig <laughs> in that one cartoon, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, his main, the main interesting thing is that it, the cartoon, his stethoscope and mirror combination are actually like a horn. Yeah, he can honk his stethoscope. Yeah, and the noise comes out of his mirror thing. It's really like a loudspeaker on yeah. his head. He does um, have big ears, which is kind but of not neat. that big. No, no. They're like, they're big, but like normal people big. Not like, you know, um, not like two extra heads yeah thing. the yeah he has ear, ears that are fully as large as a head in either side in the uh, in the book version yeah um it looks like the book version he also has multiple wristwatches which is interesting that is interesting i wonder what that oh it's to to set off alarms oh there we go okay so um some thoughts there uh, now, uh, Doctor, what, what's Dr. his name? Cacophonous A Cacophonous. Discord, and he's telling you. And what does that A stand as for? As loud as possible. <laughs> and two screeches and a bump accompanied his response. It says. <laughs> <laughs> now he uh, he does pet medicines that if you take them, you'll never have to hear a pleasant sound again. Yeah, and. Well, I guess it depends on your definition of a pleasant sound, but uh, he seems to enjoy how you know bad so sounds that most people would would approve of. So I wonder if he took it took his own medicine if he would stop hearing noises. Oh, that's a good question. Um, he uh, he's got um, his song is kind of uh, like this is probably the the closest you get to a banger in the whole movie. I think <laughs> a banger. Um, yeah, he does a thing where he does it like very melodious at first to lull you into a false sense of security for when he just starts smashing shit. Um, he's a fun character considering we don't really get to see him no, that much. Yeah, you know? he, he has a bigger role in the book where he uh, actually where he's part of a whole other story not included in the movie where Milo enters a whole valley with no sound at all. And it turns out that the sounds in this valley are being held hostage by the woman who was once in charge of them, but got so tired of the ugly noises people were making, she took away all their sounds. Oh, so how does he figure well, into that? As it, well, Milo ends up being being drafted into the resistance, and he gets he gets a tour of the soundkeeper's mansion, and all he needs is to get one sound out, and that will let them break the bubble of silence. And he does so by by getting a word on the tip of his tongue. So once they mm -hmm. and he loads this word into a cannon outside, which breaks the breaks the castle down and the entire history's worth of sounds all go flying over a hill. And and the soundkeeper is just distraught that all of her work is for nothing. And that's when the din shows up with a great big sack. And he says, hey, can anyone use these sounds? They all came over the hill at once and none of them are awful enough for me. <laughs> Speaking of the din, I don't think we've mentioned no, him yet. No, th that is uh, Dr. Cacophonous A. Discord's uh, sidekick and employee who is a bluish smoggy miasma that is vaguely humanoid. Let me... Uh, 
share an image of him uh, with you here. Let's. There we go. All right, so let's take a look at the the awful din. Uh, so the awful din is like you said, he's kind of a um, he's kind of a cloud. Um, he is he's like a cloud. Yeah. Man. So din is um, like a pun like on a genie. Din. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, he is made entirely out of uh, squiggles. Like if you were like bored and doodling, you'd kind of like squiggle this. If you had one um, of those motorized it's, pens it's, that draws loops from the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. He, like you said, he's more humanoid than he is in the movie. Because in the movie, um, he looks like the spook from Wizard yeah. of Id. I think we said that in our Wizard of Id episode. Yeah, he looks like yeah, he looks like Lakitu's cloud, but uh, purple. Yeah, I actually thought it was interesting watching the movie because. Um, I hadn't remembered this. He looks a lot like um, uh, like a finger painting. Yeah, he's animated differently than the rest of the movie. And you get a couple of places yeah. where they experiment with uh, how to uh, how how they do the animation, especially toward the end when you have the the battle with the demons. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and th and this is um, he. It's it's uh, it was interesting just because I was like watching it. I was like, wait, how did um, actually, um, the animation, this whole film, there's a lot of, well, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff. And one of the things that uh, I, I'll mention now before I forget is you can tell it's made in 1970 because it's one of those films where you can still see the pencils in a lot yeah, of the animation. That's true. Which is, I mean, it's like such a refreshing reminder that this was drawn by humans yeah, yeah we know? mentioned 101 dalmatians uh, earlier that is the first disney movie where they used xerox technology to make all those dalmatians oh wow huh so they wow the future is now <laughs> yeah i don't think that you'd be able to pay people to draw that many dogs <laughs> yeah that's a lot of dogs that is too many um, dogs please eliminate 100 <laughs> So the the din is uh, like you said he's kind of um, uh, the doctor's sidekick. Yeah, we don't see and, what he um, does in the movie, but in the book we're told that he goes off on daily rounds to collect ugly noises for the doctor's uh, raw materials. Mm, interesting. Um, so he actually yeah, because in the movie he just kind of he's just there. Yeah, he's just there. You know? But in the in the book he has a he has a bigger role. We even learn about his family. He had a grandfather, the dreadful Rao. <laughs> that makes sense. And he's also incredibly emotional in the book. He's thrown into tears and uh, and uh, and head over heels with laughter at the drop of a hat. So. Oh yeah, that's right. He uh, he's very he's very extra in the book, if I recall from your yeah, uh, your video. I I, I, um, I really love doing the whole thing with the din. That was my favorite part. <laughs> it was like I know he doesn't like it if you sound no noise is yeah. good noise. <laughs> yeah, he went in the corner and sulked. <laughs> um, I feel like it, it, am I misremembering? But didn't the humbug say yeah, that? He, yeah, the humbug tried to uh, say no noise is good noise and got him very upset. And they, they haven't even met the humbug yet at this point. So okay, so it looks like they rearranged the 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 order of some yes. things in, in the book. Movie. This part comes after they leave Dictionopolis, but before they've uh, come to Digitopolis. Now is the bit with the, um, the, the laughter medicine in the, in the book? Uh, no, uh, that's, uh, that comes from, that is a gift given to Milo by the soundkeeper that I mentioned earlier. Oh, okay. All right. So I guess they, they, they kept it. They kept that bit in because I mean, they're going to use yes. it later. And I think they needed, ju needed to justify this detour with, uh, with the doctor in some way. Um, and, um, yeah. Okay. Um, interesting. Uh, but I guess, yeah, they, they cut, they, they pared it down. So this whole movie would just be 90 minutes. Um, well, we're going to spend more time talking about it than it actually yeah. runs. That's, that's how we, how we do things. That's how, That's how we, we do. roll. Um, <laughs> all right. So um, after, so I mean, I, let's see, what else? Is there anything else that happens with these guys, with the, uh, the din and no, the doctor? No, no, they just, they just flee in terror after this. And that's when they find themselves in the letter orchards. Oh, because I assume they must by now be on the outskirts of Dictionopolis. Yes, and we have all these scenes like, you know, strictly fresh letters, tree ripened, now in season. And... 
And uh, Tox says something like, I've never seen fatter W's. <laughs> Which feel, feels like it could be a metaphor for something, but I don't know, or not a metaphor, an innuendo for something, but I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I can see like um, th- there's a lot of uh, a lot of letter stuff happening, like letter people type yeah. stuff going on in this. Um, so Digitopolis, sorry, uh, Dictionopolis is the the land of letters where King Azaz is uh, because he thinks letters are more important than numbers. Yes, you're so, not allowed to use numbers uh, here. Yes. Um, so in the movie, we meet those those uh, five ministers. Yes, they have who, they um, have individual names in the book, but in the in the movie, they're just credited as the ministers. All five of them are voiced by Mel Blanc in. Yeah, including the uh, the little short fat guy who's kind of like a Goomba to the others. Yeah, he has um, the one who is a head with like arms and legs. So I've sh- um, yeah, you can see that their design was much more complex in the uh, in the book, whereas in the movie, everyone in Dictionopolis who has some sort of official position seems to be wearing this kind of like monk's hood or sack. Yeah, they've all got like kind of uh, lyra pipes with a, a big plume. Um, it's interesting because yeah, because the uh, design, the the um, the uh, the clo- the ministers in the movie, their clothing looks much more um, medieval than in the book. The book, they look a little more like I'd say Edwardian, yeah, Edwardian, maybe Victorian. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Also, though, they look more like ministers in this picture, like in the. Um, the movie, I was like, I wouldn't have thought those guys were ministers. They looked like, I guess, I don't know what you call it, town crier type sorts. You know, yeah. like the guy who plays the trumpet when the king walks in. I don't know what you'd call that yes. guy. You know, the guy was here, you hear you, his majesty is here. Like now that guy. Have, yeah, they have um, individual names in the book. They're the Duke of Definition, the Minister of Meaning, the Earl of Essence, the Count of Connotation, and the Undersecretary of Understanding. Hmm. I'm okay. guessing that the last one is the undersecretary because short. So, right, right. Um, do they behave like they do in the movie, or do they, or is like same? They just five guys who are like the yeah, same. Yeah, they're, they're five guys who are the same, and they and they kind of you know build on a, on each other. But then there, but there's another character. One of them who seems to kind of stand out is the Earl, who the others seem to seem to pick on. Oh, huh. That's funny. Why is uh, that? I'm not sure. It's, it's just let's. There's a scene during the banquet where they all get into a fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess the oh, there was the undersecretary of understanding not doing hmm. his job. Let's see. Here's here's the uh, dialogue here after Milo has made his unappetizing order and here try some somersault. Suggested the Duke. It improves the sl- the flavor. Have a rigmarole, offered the Count, passing the breadbasket. Or a ragamuffin, seconded the minister. Perhaps you'd care for a synonym bun, suggested the Duke. Well, if you're just desserts, mumbled the Earl indistinctly with his mouth full of food. How many times must I tell you not to bite off more than you can chew? Snapped the undersecretary, patting the distressed Earl on the back. In one ear and out the other, scolded the Duke, attempting to stuff one of his words through the Earl's head. If it isn't one thing, it's another. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. Well, you don't have to bite my head off! Screamed the terrified Earl and flew the others in a rage. The five of them scuffled wildly under the table. (laughs) Stop that at once, thundered Azaz, or I'll banish the lot of you. Sorry, excuse me, forgive us, regrets, pardon. Oh, I guess things things are getting heated in the the land of letters. (laughs) (coughs) <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, um, okay, so they they get sounds like they have a little more personality in the yeah, books. Yeah, they're the you books. know they're important, but uh, at the same time, you know, I can see why they kind of uh, condense them down to this. I like the effect how they kind of all stand, you know, so you can't tell there's more than one of them until uh, they start to move. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of kind of fun. Um, they in the movie they pretty much are just there to make announcements, and uh, their main thing is that they get Milo from the dungeon in that what one bit. Um, 
so what do they what do they do in the book? I mean, yeah, that, that, that's that's pretty much what or? happens too. They uh, they do they do almost the exact same things uh, in the book. They uh, they welcome Milo to Dictionopolis and uh, and invite him to the banquet, and uh, they tell him to enjoy himself in the marketplace. But my favorite thing is that uh, they have a car that they take him for a ride in, and he's and it doesn't have any horse or engine or anything so he's so he's saying how does it go and the duke goes shh be very quiet it goes without saying <laughs> oh that's pretty good actually um yeah so in the in the movie like he does he he goes around the market uh, they meet some dude who's selling letters yeah, or they, something yeah, i kind of ha- like yeah this we have this letter and word market where people are selling words that are, some of them are really long and thus really expensive. And Milo and Todd get involved with this one guy who is selling letters so you can make up your own words. And that is where they meet the spelling bee. Yeah. uh, So the spelling bee who I, for some reason, this is another character I really liked when I was a kid. I I do not know why. Um, something about his design I thought was, was good. Probably because he was a yeah, bug. Yeah, I know how that is. Um, he's, a, he's a bee, but he's got like a, uh, like kind of a mosquito proboscis. Yeah, he's got his ovipositor uh, right in the middle of his face. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and he's kind of, um, who does his voice? It's the voice that I, I've heard, but I can't place. Let, let's um, see. I, uh, the spelling bee. It's Shepard Mencken who I hmm. don't think I could... Oh, okay. He's the voice... Let's see. He was the voice of Ricky Ticky Tavi in a later uh, Chuck Jones production. And, oh, wow. Okay. But you might... And do you remember Clyde Crash Cup at all? Oh, yeah. He was like... Um, he was on the, the... Oh, my God. Yes, of course. That's the voice. That's where I've heard it before. He's a guy from the... The, the yeah, chipmunks. the super old Alvin show from before it was Alvin the Chipmunks. Yeah, and I always thought his, his yeah. parts were a lot funnier than the actual chipmunk parts. Ro- the Ross Bagnesarian's uh, redheaded yeah. stepchild, uh, Clyde Crash Cup. Yeah, uh, but that is the exact same voice that he uses for Clyde Crash Cup as the spelling bee here. Um, uh, we don't get any Leonardo in this no. one. Though. <laughs> Um, but, uh, the, so what's the spelling bee look like oh, in the book? There we go. Let me... I think you will be, I think you will be pleasantly surprised. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? It, okay. This is an insect. As Jules, okay. I'm sorry. Let me just, uh, okay, so let me say, okay. Um, uh, For those of you just joining us, it's just a giant bug. It looks like Mothra. Now, I'm I'm no entomologist, right? But he, but I feel like here's the thing. If, and if you're, you're not a bug person, like you don't know much about bugs, right? Um, I feel like bees are like the most distinctive bug. Like if you don't know bugs, you could probably be like, okay, look, you got to draw a bug. It's like, well, what bugs do I know? I know a butterfly. I know a bee. I know like, you know, a ladybug, um, a grass and a grasshopper. Right. Other than that, you could probably draw everything else as a generic bug and no one would notice. People are going to notice if you can't draw a bee. (laughs) This, if anything, this looks this looks like a cicada <laughs> that that's it's got like um it's got like uh okay it's it's this weird giant bug it vaguely looks like like a locust or cicada it's got like uh uh it, it's it's antennas look like almost like tentacles yeah big old mustachey tentacles yeah it's got gigantic weird bug eyes on the side of its head. bug eyes <laughs> Like a like dragonfly Janine, eyes. Sorry about the bug eyes there. thing. I'll be in my office. <laughs> and the body kind of looks like one of those those fucking weird sea scorpions <laughs> from the uh, you know the uh, the Cambrian. You know what yeah. I mean? 
I I was thinking, looking at this, that no, it doesn't look too much like a honeybee, but it looks more like a solitary bee. And oh, like a carpenter yeah, bee or I think something. That seems appropriate since the smelling bee doesn't seem to have any kind of hive or anything. Okay, I mean, I could buy yeah. that, it, but it's, it's kind I of just feel uh, like kind of me going for a no prize, you know? <laughs> yeah. I feel like if you're gonna do a B in a children's book, kids are gonna be like, "Look, draw, draw the, draw the stripes, draw the stripes, stripes, draw the stripes." <laughs> it's like otherwise, it's not a B. It's like, um, well, I guess it's a, it's a spelling yeah. B. So yeah, it's the spelling um, B. The spelling B. So. Uh, what does this guy do in the book? Is he just do the same thing as yeah, in the movie? The, you, yeah, everything that happens in Dictionopolis is for the most part accurate, except that some parts of it got spread out to uh, earlier, like our first encounter with uh, Officer Shrift. Gotcha. Okay. So um, he, he basically the humbug shows up and these two get in a fight. Yes. And uh, yeah, this is pretty much exact. Pretty much exactly what you see is that uh, the spelling bee is showing off his spelling talents to Milo to help him uh, choose which letters to buy. And that is when we are introduced to the humbug, who is, as the spelling bee puts it, a very dislikable fellow. But <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> Everybody loves a humbug. Yes. He says, we're an old and noble family, honorable to the core. Insectius humbugium, if I may use the Latin. Why we fought in the Crusades with Richard the Lionheart, crossed the Atlantic with Columbus, blazed trails with the pioneers. And today, many members of the family hold prominent government positions throughout the world. History is full of humbugs. Well, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's not, not wrong. wrong. Now, the humbug... Um, uh, interest. Okay, so the version we get in the movie is he, he looks kind of like a grasshopper. Yeah. He's, he's like a kind of shabbier version of Jiminy cricket with more bug features. Right. He's, he's kind of dressed the same way. He's got that kind of like, uh, I don't know what you would call his outfit. He looks like he's got a uh, tail like coat a, with a, with a big old bow tie holding it closed around his body. Yes. Um, and he's got kind of, uh, he's got, uh, you know, he's got cuffs that don't connect to anything like a standard Hanna-Barbera yeah. character, which they actually make a little joke <laughs> about. Because when he's shaking Milo's hand, his cuff like falls over Milo's wrist and he has to put it back on. So that's kind of and funny. And he's wearing Goofy's um, hat. The... Oh, that's right. Yes, he is. So um, look forward uh... to the part where he bends down and goes, look, a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Now the humbug in the book looks a lot more like um, the outbursts of Everett True. He's, <laughs> he's like a big, like he's a big fat guy wearing like a pea coat. It looks like with um, he's got spats and like a bowler hat, and um, his face looks like I'm I'm. What is going on with his he face? He seems to have a. Uh, a proboscis of some kind. So perhaps he's a weevil. Yeah. Um, he has got a proboscis. I, 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 yeah. Um, I can't, I certainly can't place it. Um, I should call it, I should call him Moody and be like, what kind of bug is that? <laughs> She's good at identifying okay. bugs. All right. We'll wait. Hey, Moody. Come in here. I need your expertise. We'll cut out this long pause and post. No, we won't. <laughs> we never cut out the long pauses. That's how we. How no, we no, no. That's what people want. That's what people want. Hey, come identify this bug. Is it the one you texted me? No, it's it's this oh, one. I was like, I already identified that, that. What kind of bug is this? What? What? Do you, what kind of bug does this look like? Um. What does that look like to you? If you had to guess what kind of bug this is. A weevil? Oh, actually, that's what we thought, too. Okay. So I guess yep. it's a weevil. I mean, it's got the thing on the front, you know, the long... The proboscis? Yeah. Yeah, okay. We were like, we're like, okay, we're trying to figure but it out. This is a humbug. It's made up. So well, it yeah. correspond to an actual insect. No, we just were wondering what it would most I mean, look like. it's got the rounded, like, beetle-shaped thing. Oh. So that's what I would, I'd go with weevil, but... Okay, that's that makes sense. Well, they we, might have not had that in mind. Well, we just wanted to ask the experts. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Love you. Yeah, I identified the one you... Riker! Oh, <laughs> oh, the cat just got in. 
Tell her to catch the bug. Don't talk back. Come here. Did you hear her? She went. Did you hear that? I heard it. Oh, well, you too, Riker. All right, I got her. All right, thank you. <coughs> All right, it's settled. Humbug is a, a kind weevil. of weevil. Yes, not a weevil, a weevil. And yes. So yes, the humbug is yes. He introduces himself and start and starts ingratiating himself to Milo for some reason. I guess he takes a liking to him. I don't, I'm not really sure why he's why he's doing this because talk doesn't immediately distrusts him and. Milo, I, th- I, I can't tell how Milo feels about the humbug. Yeah, um, I mean, he seems, yeah, uh, he's he seems. Uh, he's like, okay, uh, so we got a bug. Great. Yeah, he's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Milo's very kind of go with the flow in this movie. You know, I mean, I think that's the we get a lot of like him just staring at the screen, yeah. and he's like, well. <laughs> I guess he's always like, well, that happened, <laughs> you know. But he's like, well, I guess I got these guys hanging out with me. All right, we're off to the castle in the air. Why not? Um, so in the, so does the the in the movie the um spelling bee uh like what uh, takes a dive at the humbug and causes a lot of chaos. Yes. And the whole market falls apart. Is that what happens in the book yes, as well? Yes, we're right at the yes, we are, you know, right at the part where pretty much it falls in line with the book for the most part. So yeah, Milo and Milo and Talk get blamed, and well, my my favorite part from the book that gets left out is the, because the word market is in a shambles. People are saying things like "Done what you've looked, do what we are going are to." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that's pretty amusing. Um, yeah, they don't do anything like that here. They, they, they have words falling and one of them falls in the humbug that says fool, which is, (laughs) which is appropriate because yeah, he is a, he is a fool, but he seems to be a fairly good hearted fool at least. Well, yeah, he's, I think he is, um, he's, he's the kind of character that, uh, that you, you like in these movies because he's, uh, he's entertaining and he's a bug. As I've said, I said in my review that he reminds me more of the centipede from James and the giant peach than of say the woggle bug, but they're all kind of on a sort of spectrum of rascally insects. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can see it. Um, he's, uh, you know, and, and we all, and we're always asking, what does the humbug say? Well, he says, boulder dash. Oh, that's right. Was he, I was, was he trying I was confused by that. Was he challenging the spelling bee to spell Balderdash? No, he was just saying that spelling was things was itself Balderdash. Oh, I agree with him. <laughs> spelling is for losers. <laughs> you know, it'd be really funny since they're in Dictionopolis when uh, he sees a spelling bee. He's like, "Oh, you like uh, you like letters, huh? Well, here's an L. Why don't you take it? <laughs> Why don't you stick it on your forehead?" Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, Officer Short Shrift shows up. And he immediately blames uh, Milo and Talk for everything and takes them to takes them to prison for six million years, whereupon they meet the witch. Actually, you know, before that, I just want to mention it's funny that uh, when he does that, the humbug is all like, oh, chin up, he'll, you know, or something like that. And it's like, well, I expect the humbug to just let them go to jail because he's kind of been established as like, you know, kind of a jerk. But the spelling bee is just like, oh, I'm so sorry that you're going to jail. But he doesn't fucking do anything. Well, he doesn't. I mean, are you going to interfere when the cops are taking someone to jail? I mean, that's that's your ticket there, too. Well, no, but I mean, the spelling bee is like. Oh, I guess I'll let the cop take those people to jail instead of telling them actually the person who caused this is the humbug, whom I also hate and would like to see in jail. So it's like, what's the downside? Well, you know? I mean, technically, he was the one who started the fight. He was the one oh, who yelled, actually, guard, yeah, I guess you're so. right. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. I guess his, he doesn't have clean um, uh, pedipalps yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, so I guess that's why he's keeping his uh, proboscis shut. Um, so yeah, they do go to the they go to the jail. Um, we find out that Officer Short Shrift is also judge and jailer, yes. judge, uh, so jury, and he, jailer, not executioner. We didn't go that far. No, so he's he runs the gamut. He is uh, 
he is um you know uh, a man of many talents <laughs> uh many many uh incarceral talents um but yeah, we go down, we get to see the witch, and it's June Foray doing her uh, her witch yes, voice. But she is not your typical terrifying witch, although I really love the shadow that she casts first that makes her look look scary. That is a good witch to to aspire to. Yeah, that's a that's a good bit, yeah. Um and she she gives us some backstory about like basically like, okay, look, we've been we've been bumbling around in this movie long enough. We need to start establishing what the fucking plot is and the plot is that when king wisdom died uh rhyme and reason like the, the azaz and uh and pizzazz or whatever pizzazz. they never say the mathematician's name no, his name is they? simply the mathematician it's even that way in the book oh okay. and yeah we yeah oh, the okay. one thing she doesn't say is that uh king wisdom in his old age as his sons were building their own uh kingdoms he adopted the baby princesses who had been left in his one of his orchards and so they were so they were also his heirs. Oh, interesting. Okay. So they, they do leave yes. that out. Yeah, they the don't mention that there is still a city of wisdom by the coast. Oh, okay. So who runs uh, that? No one, apparently, because the princesses who used to run it were uh, were banished to the castle in the air. So I guess the I guess everyone there uh, you know dis dispersed into uh Digitopolis, Digitopolis and the, the forest and valley. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't make much sense because like King Wisdom dies, and then it's like so he's got four heirs, and like the 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 Azaz and the Math Magician is like, oh, we don't like you, you you two are banished, and Rhyme Reason you think would be like, all right, well, from our own kingdom, no, <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, you don't, you're not the boss of us. What do you mean we're banished? We can, we're just we're just gonna go home to our own yeah to the city of Wisdom, you know, but uh, apparently like oh, I guess we got to go to the castle in the air. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess, then, yeah, there's just an empty kingdom. Uh, all right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they go to the castle in the air. And um, and that's uh, why there's no rhyme or reason everywhere. And as Milo says, yeah. and everyone thinks he's so great. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, we rough him up a little. See, that's why everyone doesn't doesn't matter what they're if they don't care what their words mean as long as they use a lot of them. And they don't care whether Ain't that yeah, the truth. and they don't care whether the math problem makes sense in the first place as long as the sum is correct. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, oh, uh, I guess this Norton Jester is not a fan of the new yeah, math. It's, you know, maybe he, yeah, he's probably talking about those kind of uh, math problems you have. Like, okay, your factory builds twelve point five widgets a day. It's like, how do you build five widgets and then go point five widgets and then go home? Yeah, uh, I hate those problems. I hate math and those logic. Fuck the math and those logic problems from uh, the SATs. All schneebles are gnorbles. Some gnorbles are gnobbles. Are any gnorbles schneebles? I was not good at that. <laughs> but, I mean... Uh, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> those are fun because those are the only time you get to fill out maybe on a multiple choice test. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, do they still do SATs? Still I never took the SATs, but then that I would have taken them 20 years ago, so I don't know if they still do them. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, do they still do that for fun? Is that still a thing? I don't know. Come on, everyone. We're going to get popcorn and do the SATs. Oh, it's like, yeah, what a what a world. But anyway, so uh, what? what? Oh, so she gives the, the story about rhyme and reason. But then she they get banished to the castle in the air and she gets put in jail for reasons. Yeah. They didn't clear. make this clear, but uh, yeah, her role in this was that she, as the as the official witch, W H I C H, she her job was to determine which which words to use and which not to use. And but mm -hmm. in the book, it makes it clear that uh, she was thrown in prison because she had grown so miserly that she wanted all the words for herself, and she put up signs that said "Silence is golden," and it and it crashed the economy. Oh. Oh, so it's actually good that she's yeah. in jail. But now it's the opposite problem is that everyone uses as many words as possible. So it's I'm so it's consumerism. <laughs> it's good that King Azaz put her in jail instead of bailing her out when the economy crashed. 
Yeah, especially since Which she's is a, too big to fail. His aunt too. You'd think that he just. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm glad to see that he didn't let nepotism get in the way of justice. All right, I'm. You know what? I'm. I'm really. I'm much more on King Azaz's side rather than this dumb math magician. He sucks. <laughs> Stupid math. Uh, well, what's the witch look like uh, in the let's, book? Let's uh, share the uh, picture right here and. Oh, damn. I'm sorry. I took this one sideways. What a dumbass. Oh, this is... Oh, she looks like a witch. She doesn't look any different than you would expect. Yeah. I mean, she looks a lot more witchy than in the movie. Yeah, in the movie, she's this chubby old lady who... And and they point out that she's the weatherman's uh, sister. She looks pretty much just like him, except with a uh, princessy hat. Yeah, one of those, you know, those hats, those pointy hats with the the kind of veil. Yeah, the ones that you learn to draw when you start drawing princesses as a kid, but you never find out what they actually represent, and you never see anyone wearing them. What do they represent? I I don't know. It's that that it's that kind of weird cone-headed Catholic thingy. You're right, because I think I've seen pictures of, like, you know, old Flemish paintings of women in the East that wear these weird kind of, like, uh, they almost look like these kind of baskets on their heads. And I feel like they've turned into, like, weird dunce caps through the same process that made uh, Jughead's inverted fedora become a Burger King crown, you know? The cartooning turns hats into just a way of recognizing a silhouette. And as long as the silhouette stays yeah. the same, yeah, Jay's. It's it's like <laughs> I think we've discovered what would happen if Lidsville was part of the Phantom Toll Booth. Hats don't mean anything anymore as long as you wear lots of them. <laughs> uh, <coughs> um, but uh, anyway, sorry. The the witch here, um, yeah, she just looks more like a like a Baba Yaga type yeah. witch. You know, she's she's a little more crone like. Um, she looks like a, um, uh, oh God, who is that guy? Like a Quentin, Quentin Blake, Quentin yes. Blake illustration. That, there's a yeah. lot of Quentin Blake in these illustrations cause they're all pen, pen and paper. There's no, no oh yeah. Yeah. Um, at no point does, uh, uh, does, uh, Jules Pfeiffer ever actually get out his ink and Q-tip to fill in the blacks. Yeah. Well, you know, he's a cartoonist. This is the yep. way he works. Um, so um, in the movie, then the ministers show up and just kind of drag Milo out of jail. Yes, that's exactly what happens um, in the book, too. Okay, why not? So he now he's getting dinner with the king. Dinner with the yes, king. Yes, he's been invited um, to a royal banquet with King Azaz. And here, let me share the picture of King Azaz with you. All right, let's take a look at this king. Let's see, this, let's see how this king looks. Oh, he looks, he oh, looks he's a king. Like a king. Okay. Yes. He, he looks like a king. He's just a king. Um... I mean, he's got more of um, uh, he looks more like a uh, uh, a little gosh, more Santa Clausy um, than the uh, one in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking he looks a little more like uh, yeah. Thorin of Gondor, or whatever. Yeah, he's, the heck he's that, that kind of not Gondor. gnome king, said you know the bulky king. Yeah, they just right in right. the book he's described. He was the largest man Milo had ever seen, with a great stomach, large piercing eyes, a gray beard that reached to his waist, and a silver signet ring on the little finger of his left hand. He also wore a small crown and a robe with the letters of the alphabet beautifully embroidered all over it. And hmm. in the um, movie, he's just wearing hmm. that same kind of weird monk's hood with that's gathered up at the top. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got a crown, doesn't he? Uh, I think, or yeah, does he? Have you a know, crown? he doesn't have a crown, and he and the mathematician doesn't either. Even though they're both kings, they kind of like. Yeah, they kind of gather, like you said, it's all gathered up, isn't it? To a little, yep. uh, little thing it's up the, there. It um, gives the illusion of a crown without actually being one. It's cut into the shape of a crown. Well, I guess he has a sort of yeah. ring around it that looks like a crown. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, they have dinner and um, they do the thing where they give speeches and then they yeah, uh, they give speeches. They... But then they have to eat their words, which is sucks for Milo because his speech was your majesty, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to take this opportunity. Yeah, which uh, and then yeah, every, he's, everyone else is like, oh, you should have given a tastier speech, though. I do wonder what his words actually taste yeah. like since he's not 
saying food. And everyone else is um, getting the food that they named. And, you know, I guess it's too bad there isn't a kind of food called ladies or gentlemen. So, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, but uh, what happened then? Then, like, what, the king falls down? Yeah, the king falls down and, and uh, the... After yeah, he burps himself right off the table, and uh, the little guy, the I guess the undersecretary, is the only uh, member of his cabinet who's still there to assist him. And Milo brings up the whole thing about uh, the princesses that he learned from the witch, and King King Azaz is immediately like, "No, I, I would never allow them to come back." And this is a really good part that I mentioned in the uh, in my in my review of this, where uh, you you see you see King Azaz's his whole thought process as he decides why is why isn't he letting them come back and but you only see his hand in the shot and you see his see his his uh, attitude go from uh, adamant to thoughtful to acquiescent and it's like yeah chuck jones can really do a hand <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty impressive yeah you, you can see uh um the jonester show, showing off a little bit here you know Showing off his uh, his um, his chops. Yeah. You know, another place um, this that was it was a little earlier in the movie when uh, when he was talking to uh, the weatherman. My, there's a scene where Milo is talking and he's trying to put his hand on the steering wheel of the car and he misses like twice. So he glances back and grabs oh. it and uh, turns back to the weatherman to continue his conversation. I was like, that's such an interesting little character moment there that I wonder if it happened like while they were, while they were taking like footage of Butch Patrick from, for a model. And they're like, let's, that's a good moment. Let's leave that in. Yeah. That's actually, yeah, that's a good question. Cause um, yeah. Um, it's good that uh, they didn't just, you know, I like this movie because they didn't just—they didn't just fucking rotoscope everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the kind of thing that people are complaining about when you look at the video of the two different openings for The Simpsons and how incredibly under-animated the new version was versus how way the hell over-animated the old version was. Yeah, see, the you know, thing is nowadays they just let uh, they make uh, the algorithm make the cartoons these yeah. days you know you don't they don't get any you don't get the human touch anymore uh anyway old man yells a cloud <laughs> um uh, but yeah so so he convinces basically azaz that if he can does he he basically says that he's going to convince that convince uh, the mathematician to allow it at the same time because you know they're only banished because the two kings have banished them. So if one of them, if they both renege on their banishment, that means the princesses can, can come back. But that also means that they have to rescue them, and the castle in the air is directly over the mountains of ignorance where all the demons are. Oh, so wait, does the castle in the air not full of demons? No, it's a, it's uh the castle in the air is where it's just a nice castle where the princesses live, but we don't get to see much of it in either the book or the movie. I actually assumed that they were being held prisoner by like demons living in the castle. No. I didn't realize that they just have to pass through the uh, uh, mountains of ignorance. Again. I guess because like, I think what confused me is because in the movie, whenever they say castle in the air, it makes the demons mad. You know, yeah, so you that is a weird. It. That is a weird little touch for this movie, and it, but the, but the, you know, understand that the monsters of ignorance are the indigenous people of this area, <laughs> and they don't want rhyme oh. and reason to come back because they could be taking back their country. Oh shit! Wow, that uh, <laughs> that is a whole new layer. Uh, so yeah. Um, so so okay so we're gonna so now uh, he's got to go see the math magician right? yes and because because the humbug stung him at just the right time uh, the humbug oh no because the spelling bee stung him the humbug happens to stand up when King Azaz asks for a volunteer to go with them in the book he just says uh, that's a good idea humbug you'll go with them it's like well, I didn't realize I was volunteering. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. We need more. Uh, we need more. You know. We, got, we need to make things interesting here. We uh, we got um, you know talk. We got we got our Sir Didymus. Now we need our Hobbit. Yeah, very much so. And yeah, we don't we don't get a we don't get a Ludo in this movie. 
Hey, this is Ethan from Special Presentation. Oh boy, we really talked over our limit again this time. So we're breaking it up here. We'll see you for part three of the Phantom Tollbooth next week. Sorry to leave you hanging.